This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And we are back at it for another kick at the can at uh, seven minutes after four. Liam Moody, of course, in the chair uh, this afternoon, taking all your calls, answering all your questions. Yep, the lines are open, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Bring them on. We'll love to talk to you over the next hour and figure out what is going on with your employment situation, whether you're an employee, an employer, you're unemployed, just got a severance offer, thinking it might be coming down the pike, or a simple question about your job. It's where you spend about 1,800 hours a year. So it's pretty important, pretty big chunk of your week. So it's good to have that uh, that discussion. If you ever want to know, by the way, what your severance should be, we'll talk about this uh, more in depth over the next hour, but you can always go to at your leisure, severancepaycalculator.com. Takes about 30 seconds to use. Plug in a couple bits of information, and you'll have an accurate amount, dollar amount, of what you should be owed when it comes to your severance. Leah, we always start off with the week that was, some situations, some situations that is uh, <laughs> that are happening on your end. What's uh, What's going on, my friend? Well, lots have been going on. Uh, mm. It's just been a beautiful week, weather-wise. Yep. Sun is yep. shining. It's been awesome to get outside and enjoy some of that beautiful fall weather. And, you know, this week, tis the season of uh, cannabis legislation, uh, which is, you know, something that um, has had a lot of people chatting, especially in yep. employment law context. And we will chat about that throughout this show as well. But, you know, first and foremost, we're here for you, the listener. And if this is your first time listening in, uh, this is is, as John said, the employment hour. Uh, we are here to chat about your employment rights, your rights in the workplace, uh, any kind of situation that you're dealing with in the workplace that you want a, a quick opinion on, you know, want to run it by us, please give us a call. We're here for you uh, first and foremost. But we do always start the the week with the week that was, um, which is basically just to provide almost an example of the kinds of questions that I get uh, on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, it's, it's used as an opportunity to kind of show what sort of things might be an issue, what sort of things you might want to call an employment lawyer for, uh, and just to kind of get the ball rolling. So the first one I think was important to chat about because of the season that we're in. So we have... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're approaching the winter time and a lot of businesses for one reason or another start to slow down. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of companies are approaching their fiscal year end. And so they're, they're taking another look at the books, figuring out what's affordable. Right. And right. that employer is going to start to make a lot of changes. And this, this woman called me, um, last week. She's a receptionist in an office and she was being paid, uh, $35 an hour. Uh, and her boss said to her, uh, times are tough and we're going to have to reduce your wage to $25 an hour. And that's obviously a, a $10 an hour difference. And, and at her wage, that's a third of her wage. Yeah. Um, she, you know, in hearing her employer say, you know, we're going through difficult times. She had obviously been working there for a while, recognized that they were going through difficult times. And so actually wasn't even calling me to see if that was allowed. She was calling me to ask if she could supplement her work with part-time work in order to make up for that right. that wage loss. And I was like, well, yeah, you can, but also uh, he can't do that in the first place. Um, 
you know, and she said, basically, you know, even when times are tough, even when there's a downturn in the economy, even when it's seasonal, even when I can see that yeah. we're that we're yeah. on hard times. And it's true, unless there's a contract in place that allows them to, to do such a thing to such an extent, your employer, regardless of the reason, even if it's even if it's, um, you know, the best reason that you can think of, can't just reduce your wage. They can't do that. And what happens when they do that is essentially it becomes a constructive dismissal. You bet. And a constructive dismissal is essentially when an employer uh, changes an essential term or condition of your employment. The key there being that it has to be a unilateral change, meaning mm-hmm. that, it, that it's, it's a change that they impose upon you, and it has to be an essential term or condition of your employment. So, you know, if, if your employer decides to change the dress code, for example, that's not necessarily going to constitute a constructive dismissal. It probably won't ever. But if your employer wants to change your hourly rate to that extent, if they want to all of a sudden remove your bonus, if they want to relocate you, um, you know, or, or change your duties or demote you, that can be a constructive dismissal which means you've been fired. You've technically yeah. been terminated from your job and you're now being offered a new job on these new terms or conditions. So what do you do? You've got two options when you're in this situation. You can either accept the change, in which case you won't be able to act on that later. So in this woman's case, she can say, okay, you know what? I've been with the company for however long and I'm okay accepting $25 an hour and that's what I'm prepared to do. Okay. Um, or you can treat it as a termination. You can you can say, I'm not going to accept your new terms. I'm going to treat this as a termination, and I'm going to I'm going to go after my severance. You're entitled to severance in that situation. Um, in the end, the reason why I bring this up, particularly because of the season, is that it's so important for employees to know that when it comes to those terms that are essential, that are critical to your employment, like your position, your wages, your location, your duties, your employer cannot just change those whenever they feel like it. And you do have options, which can include collecting what could be a sizable severance. So two, uh, two things I think to be aware of from what you said. Number one, if she does accept it, now she's kicked the door open. They can do it again and again and again. And by now, yeah. because she accepted it the one time, it's an implied term. Now she can't say, no, 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 I don't accept it now. Too late. You've already gone through the door, right? Yeah, that's a big one. And, and right. you know, it doesn't mean that you have to make that decision in the moment, though, either. Our yeah, courts okay. have pretty much found that you've got an opportunity to try it out. Right. So if your employer says to you, you know, we can't put you in the role of office manager, but we'd like you, we'd like to move you to this role of administrative associate, um, you can say, well, you know, okay, maybe I want to slow down Mm -hmm. a little bit. Maybe I want to see what this is like. Uh, Maybe, you know, for the next two or three weeks, I'm just going to work in this role and see how it fits for me and see if it's something that I want to accept. If at the end of those two, two to three weeks, you think to yourself, you know, actually, this is not all that it's cocked up to be. I'm not prepared to accept this. You don't have to. So okay. there is a certain amount of time in which you can you can agree in theory to the change and then back out. But I would say once it passes that one mark, uh, one month mark, especially once it crosses the two month mark, uh, you're at a position where you can no longer object mm-hmm. to that change. Um, and and in the case of certain changes, like a temporary layoff, for example, which is also something we're going to be talking about, that that will, or it at least runs the risk of giving your employer the continued right to do that, which is something that you need to be very mindful of as an employee in that situation. 
Now, if you want to do take it out for a spin, it's got to be, you should get it in writing, saying, look, here's the deal. I'm going to try this, see how it fits. But if not, I'm coming back to my own. Have that in writing, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think that I I always recommend that you put everything in writing because I'm a lawyer and that's what I've learned to do is, you know, put it in writing because then it exists on paper and you've got something that you can point to. But actually in this situation, as long as you're not signing anything or signing anything in writing that says the exact opposite, which is something that you, this is you agree to without any objection objection, you gotcha. don't actually have to say that this is something you object to. You can try it out and then in two to three weeks voice your objection at that point. You had something else to talk about when it came to human rights, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is, um, I wanted to bring this up because I had a woman call me recently uh, and the story that she told me was that um, she was on a maternity leave and while she was on that leave, she was passed over for a promotion that she would have okay. otherwise received and sure. had felt that she was in line for and was explicitly told that she was in line for. And when she came back uh, from her leave, the company didn't have her old position open for her and offered to put her into another role that was a bit of a demotion. Continued her pay, but the role was a demotion. Um, you know, And this is definitely something that I can help with because ultimately yep. it's a constructive dismissal to demote somebody, so we're going after her severance. But the Human Rights Code complaint is the biggest piece here, right? Because right. she was passed over for the promotion because she was on leave, or at least you know that's the argument that we're making, and it certainly seems that way. And she wasn't returned to her old position, all because she was on leave. The problem was that she was calling me about 13 or 14 months after this right. all happened. And in BC, there is a six-month limitation period to bring your claim with the Human Rights Tribunal. Six months. Months, That is almost no time at all to understand that you have rights, recognize that they've been violated, and then bring an application. So that was something that I just really wanted to get across today, that you know, if you feel like there's discrimination in the workplace on any of the enumerated grounds, your sex, your your gender... Uh, your, uh, uh, you know, if you are on any kind of leave, disability, sure. anything like that, um, that is something that you want to act on sooner rather than later. Because once those six months pass, you are out of luck, and there's nothing that can be done from that perspective. A rock and start, and we'll take a short break. Lines are wide open, ready for your uh, your questions, your opinions. Uh, bring them on. Leah is here for the remainder of the hour to talk to you here on the Employment Hour, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on cell. We're going right to cannabis in the workplace after we take that short break right here, Employment Hour on CKNW. It sure is, and we are right back at it here. The number to call you uh, probably know by now, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You ever want to get a hold of Leo or the rest of the team at the firm? A couple of different ways you can do that. Email is help at employmenthour.com. There's also vancouveremploymentlawyers.ca. That is also a wonderful resource. We'll talk about the... Uh, Severance pay calculator here uh, throughout the show. That's a place you want to go if you find out how much severance you are actually owed. But something that has uh, been all over the news and, of course, talk radio across this country this past week is the cannabis legislation, legal yeah. cannabis, and uh, everybody... Re- oh, look at my watch. No, it's almost 420. We're close, but close <laughs> enough for this topic for sure. Uh, cannabis in the workplace. This one's big. I mean, everybody has an opinion on it, whereas some, most people, a lot of people are saying, you know what, if you already smoke, you're going to smoke. If you don't smoke, probably not going to try, but there you go. It's going to be a run of the mill for some people. But this is a big, big topic in the workplace, yeah? It is, yeah. I mean, it's it's been... Um 
And people have been wanting to chat about this for months leading up to right. October 17th. And it's it's a really important topic because it causes us to also revisit larger questions of, you know, alcohol and drug policies and, you know, how th- certain things come into play like disabilities and addiction and how to make sure that as an employer, you are keeping your workplace safe while also ensuring that you're upholding the values of human rights legislation. Uh, you know, so... It it has been um, important to revisit all of these important issues, but at the same time, you know, it's nothing really has changed, right? It feels big. It feels monumental, but in in many ways, cannabis is going to be treated in the workplace just like alcohol. Um, There's not going to be a very significant difference in how employers are going to treat that. You know, and I I have a lot of um, people, or at least I've read about it a lot, who think that this is kind of a license to be able to smoke cannabis or use cannabis in the workplace uh, while they're working. And that's just so far from being the case. Um, You know, if, if if you wouldn't have a beer at your desk, you shouldn't be consuming cannabis at your desk. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's basically falls along the exact same lines um, as alcohol or any other kind of drug. Um, so it's, it's been a big topic and important one to revisit all of these important issues. But at the end of the day, when you consider it, it not, not a lot has changed. Yeah, I mean, in most offices now, you're not allowed to even vape inside, never mind smoke cannabis. So it, it seems like a natural answer to the question. So does it matter? Am I allowed to smoke cannabis in the workplace? Does it matter where I work, whether it's indoor or outdoor, uh, you know, or is it up to the specific employer? So, no, I mean... Most employers are going to have a, a policy, and it doesn't even have to be written, against being inebriated or intoxicated in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And that is going to include uh, cannabis use. Um, so, no, an employer cannot show up to work uh, intoxicated under the influence of any way, whether that be alcohol or cannabis, even though it's now legal. Um, so, much to everybody's disappointment, this is not a license to uh, to smoke uh, cannabis uh, while you're work you know i I read a a news article earlier in the week that uh, in toronto the uh toronto police um the rule they have is you cannot consume cannabis 28 days before a working shift which i mean basically you're not doing it (laughs) 28 days you can't smoke a month before you show up to work um can my employer limit my off-duty consumption of cannabis? I know in that case they can with the Toronto Police, but out here, I mean, is there is there any ruling with that? Yeah, so uh, RCMP, uh, they have a similar uh-huh. rule. I, I okay. believe it's also 28 days, but I actually don't think the VPD has a restriction like that. I, okay. I don't even know if they've put any um, period of time on when you can consume cannabis outside of work. Um, but Technically speaking, I mean, this is where cannabis obviously differs from alcohol, and this is where it's going to cause an issue in a Mm -hmm. lot of areas outside of the workplace as well, is how do you test for it? Right. And how long are you intoxicated for? How long are you going to be under the influence for and incapacitated from doing your job? That's that's really kind of where um, there's all these question marks around cannabis and where it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this plays out over the next couple of years. So for now, 
what companies or employers who are doing who have employees that work in what we call safety critical or safety sensitive positions, uh, you know, where being intoxicated can uh, cause injury or damage to yourself or others. When you're in that role, your employer can say, yeah, you cannot have, you cannot consume cannabis at any time, you know, for for a certain period of time up to you coming to work. Because right. just the chance that you might show up intoxicated or incapacitated in any way from doing a safety critical position mm-hmm. is too much of a risk to run. At the end of the day, every employer, every company in Canada, not just BC, has a duty and an imperative to maintain a safe workplace. They have to make sure that the people that they service and the employees that they employ are kept safe. And that that includes making sure that people don't show up, um, you know, not able to perform the duties of their job, particularly when they're in a safety critical or safety sensitive position. So, so yes, an employer can limit the off-duty consumption of cannabis. Questions, comments about this or any other topic about your employment? Lines are open. We're waiting for your calls. You can call in uh, right now till. Just before uh, 5 o'clock, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You want to reach uh, Leah when the show is not on. Help at employmenthour.com is a good way. Um, I know this. This uh, you get mired in, in human rights legislation and questions of this nature, but can I be subjected to random testing in my workplace? How does that work? Yeah, the random testing one is um, is also going to be very similar to alcohol, yeah. but it's also it causes a, it's going to cause a massive issue for I employers, know. right? Because know. you know, with this with this idea that THC can be in your bloodstream for up to th- you know, I think it's three days at a minimum, possibly longer, depending on, you know, the strain of cannabis that you've ingested, um, you know, the, the ability to, to test somebody and know whether or not they're intoxicated or inebriated in that moment is very difficult. Um, but if we're just looking at an employer's ability to do or perform random testing, again, it comes down to this idea of being in a safety critical or safety sensitive position. Um, If you are in a position, again, where you being intoxicated can cause significant injury or damage to you or the other people that you work with or the clients that you serve, your employer can test you either when they think that you are intoxicated or just randomly. Um, so, you know, that's something that employers, though, I think more than anything, want to be very mindful of because this is just going to explode, I think, um, with the human rights, uh, with the human rights tribunal and the yeah. complaints we're going to see through there. 604-280-9898 is the number to call in uh, this afternoon. Get to, uh, to Michael. Hey, Michael, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm a small employer. And I'd yep. like to get a little insight because I did have to cut wages once or we would have had to shut down. What mm-hmm. procedure would the lawyer suggest we do? And with regards to marijuana, where do we draw the limit with heavy equipment and whatnot being used in the yard? Great questions. Yeah, great questions. Um, and let's start with the contract issue. Um I, I And I don't mean to sound like I don't have sympathy for employers who are in your position. It can be very difficult, and sometimes cutting a wage is the only thing that you can do. Um, but uh, so first and foremost, what I would suggest, Michael, is that even if you're a sm- small employer, you want to have contracts in place. 
okay? Because an employment contract is going to be the rock bed on which you can protect yourself from exposure and liability. A contract can give you the ability to lay somebody off when you need to. A contract can give you the ability to reduce wages if you need to, if the needs of the business require it. And a contract can help you in terminating somebody for the least amount of money possible. If you don't have a contract in place, then you are unfortunately in the difficult position of offering these individuals um, a pay cut or saying that they that you've essentially you have we have to let you go and you have to pay severance. Um, for employers who are in that situation, what I often recommend is that um, you have to provide notice, right? So if you're saying we're going to cut you from $35 an hour to $25 an hour, what I would typically recommend is that you say, you know, we're going to we're going to reduce your wage, but it's not happening on Monday. It's going to happen in 4 months from now or 6 months from now. Whatever kind of notice that you might have to give somebody of a termination, I would give working notice of that wage decrease. That's ultimately, I think, if you don't have a contract in place, which I think has got to be your first line of defense, that is what I would likely recommend, um, you know, knowing what you just told me, is to give working notice of that change. Mike, I'm going to get you to uh, just hold on for a second. We'll finish the second part of your question after we take a short break here. I know Leah wants to get to that point as well. For you to call in, no problem, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Lots more. The Employment Hour is just ahead right here on CKNW. And right back at it as we continue our conversation of cannabis in the workplace. Phone lines open for your questions. Uh, comment 604-280-9898 or star 98. Nine eight on your cell, Michael. Thanks for hanging on through the break. Appreciate your patience. Second half of your question is: Go ahead. Well, yeah. I was curious about the operation of heavy equipment. Yep. Uh, we we handle large steel beams. We handle uh, large timbers. We handle flammables. Mm-hmm. We handle uh, um, paints and mm-hmm. things like this. And I guess I'm trying to make a judgment as to uh, what's their their right and what's our right and then our liability. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess first and foremost, they don't have a right to to use cannabis in the workplace. Okay? Right. Full stop. Beforehand, driving to work, uh, coming to work, how do I know? <laughs> well, I mean, that is the very difficult question that's going to get sorted out over the coming months and years is, you know, where can employers draw that line? Um, but given what you've described, Michael, the use of heavy equipment, the use of, um, you know, flammables, things that are are obviously dangerous, um, that is something that would likely mean that your employees do fall into safety critical or safety sensitive positions. And so, you know, uh, that's something that you have to consider first and foremost in the context of your obligation to ensure a safe workplace. So, you know, the the standard, um, you know, the thing that I keep reading is that THC can be in a bloodstream for three days, right? And so I think that, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of employers uh, who are dealing with employees who are in safety critical positions uh, are putting in place policies that say that you cannot use cannabis products uh, for at least three days before a shift. So that would be in my employment contract with my employees. 
Uh, yeah. Or, I mean, what, what might be even easier than trying to pinpoint, you know, the amount of time that you need to have something before is that you have a drug and alcohol policy in place. And that drug and alcohol policy, um, you know, requires every employee to commit to showing up to work in a, in a state of fitness to do their job. And if they aren't, if they don't, then they can be sent home. So having an up-to-date alcohol and drug policy, uh, I think, is is pretty critical for you here because you want to make sure that your employees know that it is that it's their obligation ultimately to assess their level of fitness and that they are not permitted to work under any circumstance if they are inebriated. And you also want to let managers or supervisors know, and you should know as the owner of the company, that it's also your job and your obligation to observe these people. And if you see signs of intoxication or incapacitation, then that's something, that's a situation where you want to take the person aside in a private room, you want to speak to them about it. And if you believe at the end of the conversation that they are in fact incapacitated, you want to send them home. Boy, that's a lot of judgment for somebody that's never had to deal with this before. Yeah, and and, yeah. and honestly, Michael, I, I feel for you. I feel for a lot of employers right now. But I mean, you know, you have to ask yourself, at the end of the day, this is not necessarily a new issue. If you saw somebody coming into the workplace who reeked of alcohol, right, working on working on your heavy equipment, what would you do in that case? You know, well, it, that, was, that seemed to be different. Alcohol didn't stick around, but I picked up a hitchhiker once and... and, and my car reeked and the next day I was at the border and the guy said were you smoking dough I said no I picked up a hitchhiker a day ago and my car yeah. still smelled yeah, well, I mean, and, and that's why, you know, use all your senses, right? And that's why I always, I encourage people to, you know, not just, you know, send somebody home as soon as you get a, a whiff of, of cannabis. You want to take them into a room privately and separately and speak to them, you know, and if, if their eyes are glassy, if their eyes are red, if they're slurring their speech, if they don't seem to focus, then, you know, I, I think that you have to just exercise your common sense. And it certainly sounds like, Michael, like you've got the common sense in order to do that. But, you know, if any other issues arise, I really do encourage you to give me a call. Give me a call if air. I'm happy to work through this with you in the specific context of your workplace and your employees, because I think that this is one of those situations where a lot of people are being put in positions where they're having to make judgment calls for the first time, employers and employees. And you want to make sure that you are on the right side of the law here while upholding all of the obligations that you have in the workplace. Mike, uh, appreciate your call. That number to carry on, get more information, have a chat with Leah and the uh, the crew. Six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. I just I just think as you were as you were telling him that information, he was talking about it and and he, he hit it the nail on the head, saying, "Man, that's a lot of stuff I got to know yeah. as an employer who just did schedules and paid people." Yeah. And you got to feel for the guy. I mean, especially in the heavy equipment business. You know, God forbid one of his employees as you know as as smoked a personal a couple hours before work and he dropped something off a crane hurts or even kills somebody. I mean, where's the liability? What happens if it's CBD and this guy's, you know, he's using medical marijuana and it's, you know, it's a human rights thing. Oh, it's it's going to be mired in, in, I don't know, it could be a day from now or two years plus a day from now, but it's it's going to be a big topic, I yeah. think, moving forward. Yeah, there are a lot of landmines out there for this one. And, you yeah. know, I, I do want to say that so much of this show focuses on the employee and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I, I always focus on the employee because I think that most people who are going to be listening are more likely to be employees and employers. But, right. you know, 25, maybe 30% of my practice um, is employer side, 
right? I, I, I don't, I really don't think that most companies, most employers are out there trying to, to screw the little guy, right? Like yeah. they, they want to do right by their employees. They just don't know how they're like Michael who started yeah. their business and are now just in a position where they're just, they are also trying to work through the quagmire. That is our legal system and employment yep. law. And I have a lot of sympathy for people who are in that situation, but you know, to his first question and his second, so much can be accomplished, both in terms of clarity and for having uh, processes to move forward in the yeah. form of an employment contract, right? An employment contract and a written agreement between you and your employee that clearly sets out the terms and conditions of that relationship is so critical because then you don't have to guess. Everybody's playing by the same set of rules that everybody's agreed to in advance, um, and it can really limit liability and exposure for the company, and it can also you know, confer a lot of benefits to the employee as well, who now knows what their entitlements are, knows the things that they can ask for, and knows the consequences of certain actions. You know, really important comment there. And, and you know, as an aside, if, if you're an employer or uh, and, and you're looking at doing this, getting employee uh, contracts together, this is nothing you want to try to get a Google template for or just get something downloaded off the web. You have to call, you have to do this through legal means and get it drafted properly. It's got to be in certain vernacular. There has to be certain language written out here. So make sure if you're going to do this, which, as you said, is an extremely important step. Yeah. And being an employer, get it done correctly. Again, help at employmenthour.com or get a hold of Leah and the crew, 604-283-3123. Still got time, though. Comments, questions about uh, maybe not only cannabis in the workplace, but your workplace and your job in general, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. And so now we're getting close to Halloween. Halloween is uh, is uh, 10 <laughs> days away. Then we move on to Christmas. Then the good times roll with the holiday party. What do you think is going to happen as far as can I smoke cannabis or a holiday party? Because sometimes, depending on how generous your boss is, those can get a little crazy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. I know. You can imagine some bosses are going to have like cannabis bars, right? At which right? you can, yeah. I, and it's possible, right? Because yeah. that that could very well happen sure. at some very yep. cool companies. You know, um, I don't know, but. Uh, it, Technically, you you can, right? It's it's exactly, I would really kind of look at cannabis at a holiday party, you know, as long as it, there's no policy that's strictly against it in the same way that you would alcohol or in the same way that you would smoking, right? You don't have the, uh, you don't have the right to smoke cannabis inside. You, you know, you still have to be however far you have to be outside uh, and not in front of an entrance in order to do so. Um, and, you know, that that is your legal right to use it recreationally yeah. um, outside of the context of the workplace. Your work may have policies that extend to social events and govern, um, you know, right. alcohol and drug use at a social event. And obviously, if they do, you want to follow that. Um, but if they don't, you can treat it very much like you would alcohol. And in that sense, you know, I, I think that just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it's wise to. Uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing with, with people who overuse alcohol at a yep. holiday party, right? Um, if your employer finds cannabis distasteful or if you consume too much, um, you know, that might have the same kind of effects from a reputational perspective um, that, you know, oh, drinking too much would at a at a holiday party. So I say that cautiously, that yes, from a legal perspective, you may very well be able to uh, smoke cannabis at a holiday party, but, you know, 
proceed with Some caution. Of them. Don't be yeah. that guy. <laughs> don't don't be that guy. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Scott, I see you uh, waiting in the wings to get your call in there. We will get to you. First of all, I want to take a quick break and be back with lots more of the employment hour. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on cell right here on CKNW. Phone lines are right there, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. We'll, as promised, get to Scott. Hey, Scott, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I've got a question for you. Um, Sure. Now, medicinal marijuana is a bit of a wonder drug for a lot of people, like Mm -hmm. for pain management and a lot of different issues. But in the workplace, how the hell do you know if they are, if they say they have their medicinal marijuana card? How would you ever know, or even for the police with the, with the driver, how would they ever know whether somebody is using medicinal marijuana or whether they are using recreational marijuana and are stoned? Like, how do you, know. how would you ever discern between the two? I, I just see like this huge gray area and I see no way to resolve it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that for police officers pulling people over, that's, that's definitely one thing. And I'm not even going to pretend that I know the answer to that or, you know, what's going to be, how that's going to work out over the next couple of months and years. Um, but for the workplace, um, medicinal marijuana is going to be considered just like any other prescription drug that may incapacitate you. So if you are taking a you know, prescription drug that's not cannabis and it's got side effects, you know, many, many, um, like an opioid or something. Yeah. A painkiller. Yeah, exactly. Many prescription drugs, you know, uh, say that you can't operate heavy machinery. It may make you drowsy. Um, you know, and those are situations in which that individual may need to be accommodated in the workplace. Um, you know, moving to perhaps a non-safety critical position or, you know, another role altogether. Uh, But in terms of determining whether or not somebody's using um, medicinal marijuana or recreational marijuana, as as an employer, if somebody says to you, um, you know, as an employee, you know, I, yeah, okay, I I used marijuana last night, but it's because I, I have a prescription for it and it's medicinal. So, you know, I might have THC in my blood from time to time. That's something that, you know, you can require that these employees have legally obtained prescriptions for. Um, you know, that is how, as an employer, you can determine whether or not somebody legitimately needs it for a medical purpose or if they're just using it recreationally. But I mean, I agree with you. I think that the whole time we're walking this very fine line, um, you know, we're skirting with issues under the human rights code. It's it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes out. I agree because I, I I mean my problem is I mean I know that medicinal marijuana it's a whole different animal than recreational. I mean it's 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 bred differently. It's it's not high CBD THC. versus THC type of thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes. So, but how would I ever know? One or the other. I smell marijuana. You know, it, 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 they could be saying, hey, it's, it's medicinal. I don't know no. that. And I have no way right. to prove that. So if an accident happens in my workplace and somebody is, an, uh, you know, is, is, is stoned with marijuana, but they have they they also have a permit for recreation or for um, medicinal. I have I have no way to discern. I have no way I can tell that difference. I have no blow test or saliva test to do THC or CBD I mean, what are we supposed to do? Okay. It puts a large onus on us and a large risk on us. Yeah. Um, and yeah. But, so. but here's here's maybe the key component here is that whether or not it's recreational or medicinal, you as an employer don't have an obligation to allow somebody to be inebriated in the workplace. Okay. You would not be inebriated if they were on medicinal marijuana. It's it's a different issue. 
but they but they could have a permit for that and they could be you know using that as a cover for recreational and i wouldn't know the difference a lot of people function absolutely well you can't tell that they're mm-hmm. and, and that they're stoned or not when they are could be quite stoned i think it goes back to the employment contract again right yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely can. You want to have a really robust alcohol and drug policy that deals with that. But, you know, you also have a lot of functional alcoholics in the workplace. And that's something that mm-hmm. employers and companies have been dealing with for a long time, too. You know, yeah. ultimately, as an employer, you can really just use your best judgment. And if somebody's, you know, showing up late and they're disheveled and they're not doing their job, um, then that is obviously going to come to an employer's attention. If somebody yeah. is, you know, using medicinal marijuana or even using recreational marijuana and it's mostly CBD and they are aren't incapacitated, then it may never be on an employer's radar. Um, exactly. And that would be fine. Exactly. Maybe yeah. at the end of the day, it's no harm, no foul. But I, I agree I agree with you, Scott. I mean, this is almost one of those ones where, you know, I'm tentative to talk about on the air and live because it is such a live issue and there's so much that we yeah. don't know and still have yet to work out. And, um, and you know, part of the reason why I decided to, to chat about it today is to, is to help people, you know, start to think about these issues, you know, to, in, to remind employers that your first and foremost obligation is to keep the workplace safe. That is your first and foremost obligation. Um, and to have policies in place that deal with that. Um, but then also to just kind of start thinking about other, the other issues, that this is something that you can legally use now, that you want to consider whether or not your employees are in safety critical positions and whether or not they're taking it as a result, as a result of a disability. Um, this is definitely something where I think that employment lawyers um, are going to see a big uptick in work. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. You're welcome, Scott. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. I, you know, it's it's funny. The two things I think what it, what it really boils down to at this point, the whole issue being brand new is, number one, as you mentioned, both these things, uh, the employment contract being robust from the outset, and number two, everybody has these questions. We're, we're, I mean, we're all asking them here this afternoon, But and you've said three times, look back at alcohol, people, look back at alcohol, because this is not new. Since prohibition wrapped up, this has been in the workplace, and people, as you said, have had companies grow for decades and decades, and mm-hmm. they've had to deal with it, and, and they're getting through it, and they're working today. You know, a business is, yeah. is booming, so just look back at alcohol, because it's going to be under the same sort of umbrella, right? Yeah, it, it feels scarier, right? And it feels yeah. it feels more unsure yep. because we've never dealt with it before, right? And because yeah. exactly what Scott said, the, the method of testing for it and the method of ascertaining yeah. whether or not it's recreational or medicinal, you know, is, is ultimately, there's a lot of potential issues with it, right? It's, it's rife with issue. Um, but you know, that's, if you just consider what I, what I would consider, um, what I would recommend that a lot of employers do is if you're dealing with an employee and you have a question about cannabis use, you know, just analogize, analogize that to alcohol, right? So if somebody shows up at work drunk, if somebody shows up at work smelling like vodka, you know, if, if you think somebody drove to work under the influence of alcohol, what would you do? And cannabis should be absolutely no different. You know, a lot of people think that there's going to be this difference because cannabis can be used medicinally and alcohol is not obviously used medicinally, although a lot of people would disagree with me, but you know, (laughs) alcohol is not prescribed by a doctor, right? And that there is the big difference. But with alcohol, you also have human rights issues because you have a lot of addiction issues with alcohol and addiction is a disability according to the human rights tribunal Mm -hmm. and that's also something that you have to be live to so 
I mean, I I do really have a lot of sympathy for employers in this situation because, yeah. um, you know, it it is it, it's going to be very difficult to sort out. But again, and I you know I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's really because the employment contract um, is is a salvo to so many of these issues. Mm-hmm. Having these things in writing, being clear on what the expectations are and what the policies are and what the procedures are is so, so critical. And yes, it's an upfront cost, but it can save you so much in money <laughs> and in, in stress you know, and in sleepless nights and in years off of your life just to have all of these things in writing mm-hmm. that everybody's agreed to and you can say, you can point to um, and say, this is how we're doing it. it. You know, an employment contract can provide a roadmap for how these kinds of situations are going to be dealt with by you as an employer. And that's invaluable, I think. What we really need to do is have Amsterdam over for dinner and just have a good chat <laughs> yeah. because right now they're looking at all the, our news in Canada going, oh, you guys are so cute. Like, <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, we got to Look, we got about uh, a little under two minutes left. I'm going to throw an email at you quickly. I know yeah. we can get it in and answered for uh, for Taylor wrote in at help at employmenthour.com says I was fired even though I got an amazing performance review last year mm. and they kept other guys on my team that were terrible. Is this a wrongful dismissal? Good question. And no. no, as much as it might feel wrongful, that is not a wrongful dismissal. So wrongful dismissal commonly refers to um, not getting the severance that you're entitled to. A wrongful dismissal very rarely has to do with the reason that you're terminated. It only um, correlates with the reason that you're terminated if you're terminated for a discriminatory reason. So if Taylor, you know, just asked for, you know, parental leave and then he's fired, then the reason for his termination uh, can constitute a wrongful dismissal. But you can be the best performer in your company and you can be fired. You can be the worst employee in your company and you can be promoted. Um, It might not make a lot of business sense and it might feel fundamentally unfair, but there's nothing illegal about it. Taylor, hope that answered your question. Any more follow-up for that, you can call Leah, get a hold of her and her crew, 604-283-3123. Again, it is help at employmenthour.com or vancouveremploymentlawyers.ca is the website. And, of course, always, anytime, every time, severancepaycalculator.com. Find out what you are really owed. Till next time, next weekend, this has been the Employment Hour right here on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.